thumbs up, so there must be something like, something like that. But we had actually forgotten something this morning. <coughs> Differences in church life. Maybe someone's noted it this morning. But, you know, what you have to do in church, when you get something new and you bring it into church, you have to dedicate it to the glory of God, don't you? <laughs> and so I've actually set in motion a little nameplate to be stamped up. This tree was dedicated to the glory of God. <coughs> Rubbish, I haven't. Why? Because without doing anything else, in that tree is the glory of God. You don't have to do anything. It hasn't changed. It's exactly the way God made it. He saw everything that he had made, and it was good. Therefore, God was glorified in that tree, just as it is, without any changes, but it's not so with us. This morning we're going to talk about the fruit of the Spirit. And it means that God challenges people who trust him to live their lives to the glory of God. And the Bible clearly tells us that we cannot do that on our own. It's the work of God's Spirit within us. Why is it the work of God's Spirit within us? Well, because God, God can't relate to that tree in a spiritual way. That tree has no feeling for me, but I have feeling for that, in a sense, because I enjoy it. And because God enjoys it, but it has no feeling for me, because it's not spiritual. And that's what makes man unique. That God deals with us as spiritual beings. Now that can be demonstrated in very practical ways sometimes, but it's the work of God's Spirit within us. When we don't know Jesus Christ as Saviour, the Bible says that we're dead spiritually and there's no way that God can get in touch with our spirit. Until, by the Spirit... He convicts us of our need of him, and that's done spiritually. And at that point in time, we realise we have a need, and at that point we turn to Jesus, and at that moment we're born again spiritually. We become a person who's born from above. The Bible uses these terms. Born from above, born of the Spirit, born again, New creation, different person, but that's just the beginning. And it is quite sad, you know, when people have come to that point and they go no further. I don't know about you, but I've referenced someone said to me about someone on the television. That person's a Christian, didn't you know? No, I didn't know. And that person... And I sort of counted up on my hand when I was at home preparing for this morning about 10 people, personalities, TV people, people who are in the public eye, sports people, TV presenters, singers, that they're Christian. And yet I get very disappointed. I'm not, I don't want to be condemning here. Yep, don't get me wrong. 
but I get disappointed when their life doesn't match up what I'm told. I get disappointed. I said, I thought, I thought they were a Christian. I remember being at Spring Harvest, one and one TV presenter was there. This man's a Christian and he's helping us set up Premier Radio. Since that time, I've seen several things say, is that person really a Christian? Is that person's life really bringing glory to God? How does God see it? What about the work of God's Spirit in our lives? Okay, will you turn with me to Galatians 5? This is probably the key reference we have to about what the Bible calls the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, it's in the New Testament. And it's written to Christians. And it's written in the context of people who are Jewish people. And they had a way of life which was very legal and legalistic. They had lost the plot spiritually, and they were now reverting to sort of biblical things which they could re- thought that they could rely on, but were of no value to them at that point. And the context is about them walking in the flesh. Now, if you don't understand what I mean by that, or what the Bible means, it's not a Bible term, it's walking in the flesh is when I do things that I'm very satisfied with in my life and I think that I can rely on those things to please God. Some people could do it by praying three times a day. Some people could do it and say, well, I don't do that. I don't hurt anybody. I do good to all men. I don't cheat anybody. I I, um, sort of do my tax return properly. And uh, although so I don't hurt anybody. And you are very satisfied with that. But in biblical terms, we're told that they're not the things which please God. He's not satisfied with. They may be good. They may be in order. But you know what? It's depending on you. You're very satisfied with that. But is God satisfied with it? A little testimony of mine. Um, I used to like to have a prayer list, you know, and read all the names off. If I got to the end, I was very satisfied that I'd done my duty toward God. And we can get like that. I don't know about you. You can be very rigid in that. And there's nothing wrong with disciplining yourself with prayer. It's a good place to be. But there's also another side of that. I got very dissatisfied with going through the motion. And one day, one day, just out of nowhere, I started speaking in tongues. It just flowed into my body like that. Now, my, my dad used to do gobbledygook. You know what I mean? The moon was up, he felt excited, he was emotionally charged, and he'd come out with a whole string of words you couldn't understand. And it was gobbledygook. He knew it was gobbledygook because he said to me, 
once I used to speak in tongues, and I didn't. The Bible says about gifts. Steve can speak about this, the gift of tongues. It's a gift that God gives. And there was a difference in that. But the point I'm making is that the things we do, things done in the flesh, sometimes don't please God. They're of no value to him. They may be value to us. But we're talking about those things that are born in us by the Spirit of God, which know, we realise we're a people of need, and we want to make changes. We can't do it on our own. And these people in the church here were people who relied on things they thought were trustworthy. And the particular point in Fada was Jewish circumcision. They thought, well, we can trust that. We've done it for years. We ought to go back to doing that. And Paul, writing this letter to Galatian people, largely Jewish people, he said, it's of no value. You're walking in the flesh. You need to walk in the spirit. And that's where we begin. Galatians 5, verse 13. You, my brothers, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law, or the legal things that you do, the things God did require, is summed up in a single command, love your neighbour as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. Um, He's talking to a church (laughs) here and you're devouring and biting each other. I'm so thankful that That doesn't happen here. But that's the sort of thing that it become. You're biting and devouring one another. Don't let it get to that. So verse 16 says, So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. I wouldn't have thought they were, looking at our world. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft. We live in a world of witchcraft. Hatred. We live in a world of hate. Discord. Jealousy. Fits of rage. Selfish ambition. Dissensions, factions and envy. Drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. What God is saying is, if you want to inherit what God is, there needs to be changes. There needs to be a different life. There needs to be a turning away. But you notice that you have a but as we read on. One man once said, but stands for blessed, undeniable truth. (coughs) But... um, It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, 
and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. We say it was an awful church to be part of, but God was working with them. And God will work with us. And I just want, that is a list. That is a list of things that are obvious in the life of a Christian or should be. But sometimes there are struggles with these things, and sometimes there need to be changes, and it's God's Spirit who lives within us to help us make these changes. And he said there, as we read, against these things there's no law. You're called to be free. There's no law. This is really, if I look at you guys, he's saying, this is really what you want to be anyway. You'd really like to be like that, but you're finding it so difficult, you can't do those changes on your own. It has to be done by the Spirit of God at work in your life. The power of the Spirit of God working in your life. About 25 years of my early church, I'd never heard teaching on the Holy Spirit. References, yes, but no teaching, no Bible teaching. And so it's good today, good this, this month in January, that we can look at the Holy Spirit and who he is. When I first came to this building, which wasn't Beacon Church then, two or three people here were referring to the Holy Spirit as it. And John clearly told us last night, when we come to the Holy Spirit, we're, we're talking about the third person of God's Trinity, the person who is equally God, the Holy Spirit. It is he, and we refer to him as he. So these nine virtuous expressions listed here are called the fruit of the Spirit, but it's not comprehensive, it's not complete, because gratitude is not mentioned there. How do you make a person really thankful? How do you go into Morrison's or Sainsbury's and all those old people who line up on a Thursday, how do you make them grateful? That can only happen by the Spirit of God. It's to make someone really thankful. My, uh, my nephew has married a girl who's, who's part of a strict uh, religious re regime, as it were, and uh, we went out to a meal with him a little while ago and his father-in-law was there and um, they're actually in the New Frontiers Church in Cambridge. And um, we went for a meal in Pizza Hut. And uh, Dad always says grace before meal, you see. So um, as this meal was being bought for us, uh, Daniel, uh, all the meal was on the table, and Daniel was sitting there, and he went, his father-in-law, like this, looked at us, up to his father-in-law, sort of, who's going to say grace sort of thing, you know. And, um, but there's no law about saying grace anywhere. It might be a good thing. There might be a right time to do it. It's those awkward moments, isn't it? But the main thing is we're thankful. You know, so many people can say grace before meal and it becomes, well, this is what we do. But to actually be thankful is a totally different thing. And I know Daniel's thankful, but you know it's the regime that's expected. And this is what the writer Paul's saying to this church. You're born to be free. 
you're born to have the Spirit of God at work in your life, to set you free and to give you a life that pleases God. So from Galatians 5, I just want to turn, like you determined me, to John chapter 15. <coughs> now we had this a little while ago, and we just need to read this and understand it a little bit before we go back to Galatians 15, because why... Why are those things, typically those things and other things as well, along with gratitude, and what are they, why are they so important? Why are they so important? Obviously, Paul writing to those Christians at Galatians said, your lives are just not pleasing God the way you are. Your lives are not glorifying God. God is not pleased with that. He wants more from you because he's given you his spirit in order that you might know that power within. It is possible to attribute those virtues like love, joy, peace. It's possible to attribute those virtues to ourselves and the way that we are. And you might say, well, they're the rules I live by. <coughs> or you can attribute them to God's grace at work in your life, making you more like Jesus and realise that against such things there is no law. If Jesus isn't the source and the reason for the redevelopment in your life, it has no eternal value and will die with you. But if the things born out in our lives are by the Spirit of God, which give him glory, that's an eternal value. Because what I'm saying is, I don't need to give glory to Jesus He's not part of who I am. That's just the way I am. So you've robbed God of his glory. We're going to read um, these verses in John 15. Just go through them slowly. And look at the reason here. Now when we come to John 15, we're sort of walking on Jewish territory. We're walking on Jewish territory. So in that sense, when Jesus said, I am the vine, he's, he's, he's using a word which has tremendous significance in history and in the lives of the Jewish people and what that really means. So we just need to look at one or two of those things just to understand where we're going. I am. In those two words, Jesus is saying, I'm God. We may not understand that fully, but take it from me. He's saying, I'm God. But then he goes on to say, I am the vine. No, he doesn't. He says that later on down in the passage. But he says, I am the true. I am the true vine. All that God ever required, all that God needs, all that God is, is in me. I am the true vine. So what did the vine mean? How did Israel see the vine? I just want to read you a few verses. You don't need to turn to them. One's in Psalms and one in Isaiah. You did put a bit of paper in it, not really I will sing to the one I love a song about his vineyard. 
My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well. And then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. So when Jesus is saying, I'm the true vine, it's really saying that Jesus has fulfilled all that God required or expected from his chosen people, Israel. He's not the bad vine, he is the good vine. Okay? But it's also talking about Israel. He said, then I looked for a crop of good grapes on that vine, but it yielded only bad fruit. We're talking about fruit of the Spirit this morning. So God chose a people, the Jewish nation, to be a blessing to the whole world, and they weren't. God chose a nation to glorify him, and yet they didn't, largely. And the conclusion was of God is that he had to sort of separate himself from a nation that didn't honour him. And there comes a point time in our lives if we don't live to the glory of God that God may separate himself from us and say, okay, mate, you do it yourself. But what we, when we want to give God glory in our lives, we will give it to Jesus, who first, because of what he did for us, gave us his Holy Spirit to live within us. So you have a song about a vineyard. <clears throat> the other one is in Psalm 8, and it says this. You brought a vine out of Egypt. What does that mean? You brought a vine out of Egypt. <laughs> it's talking about the Jewish nation. Because God rescued the Jewish people from the hands of an evil man. And God said to Pharaoh, let my people go. And he didn't. And because he didn't let them go, God had to rescue them. And so you see, Israel is pictured here as a vine. And it says, you took the vine up out of Egypt and drove out the nations and planted it. So it's all about coming into the promised land, into Canaan. It's all where the bunches of grapes were nearly a metre long. Bunches of grapes were nearly a metre long. You can't imagine it, can you, really? But that's what happened. When you come into God's blessing, things are beyond us. They're outside of us, and it's an experience that we can never do ourselves. So bearing the fruit of the Spirit and having God's Spirit within us is something so extraordinary and wonderful, you can't explain it sometimes. It's so wonderful. Beyond imagination, the fruit of the Spirit. So that's a little bit about the picture of Israel. But what other significance was there? Well, the significance, the concept of the vine comes from history. Okay? The concept of the vine for Israel, it had meaningful parts in its heritage. Had meaningful parts in its heritage. Does that ring a bell with you that we live in a land that has meaningful parts in its heritage? But maybe to us individually it has no value? The only the value that we find is in Jesus Christ and the work of his Holy Spirit within us. This is a privileged country. It's blessed 
and it has a meaningful heritage which we may largely live by. But the experience of others can, can only be passed on factually. They cannot be passed on spiritually. If you want to experience the real deal, you need to be personally connected to Jesus Christ. It's like little Lexi. Isn't it lovely she's coming? But you know what? Anything that you two may know of Jesus Christ or your salvation, you can't give it to her. She has to have it for herself. She has by faith to accept for herself what God has given her in Jesus Christ. And all the rituals we may go to, like christening or other like that, in actual fact, may be saying, I want to dedicate my child to God, but it's not giving the child anything, in a sense. It may be putting them in an environment that's God-pleasing. It may be birthing something spiritually in them. But actually, the christening is not doing anything because it has to be by faith and choice for themselves. It can't be passed on. And so, if any individual in the Jewish nation knew God personally, in a sense, it couldn't be passed on to future generations. There may be a heritage, but you have to have it for yourself. So there was a heritage about the understanding of the vine, and Jesus said, if you want to really have that, I'm the true vine. If you want to have a fruitful life, if you want to be connected to God, I am the true vine, and there's no other way. So what else was there? The vine and the vineyard were symbolic of a chosen community of people. The Jewish people have always been known as God's chosen people. When they were enslaved in Egypt and God miraculously delivered them from Pharaoh's hand, had the symbolic utterance was made, you are like a vine taken out of Egypt and planted in a special and sure place. So here is this transition. You know, God delivers from and brings you into personally. There are some biblical verses which declare this for believers, for Christians. He says, you have been delivered from the power of darkness and translated into the kingdom of God's dear son. That's the sure and that's the certain place. So as these disciples gathered around Jesus and he was sort of telling them, what's in front of you is God's great plan being unfolded. God's great purpose and you can't do it apart from me. You have to abide in the vine to be of any use to God for his kingdom and for his church. I'm the true vine. You can't be it apart from me. You have to be like the branches. You have to be in the vine. Once you were darkness, now you are light. When we accept Jesus Christ as Saviour, it's from too. Not just, well, I'm slowly getting there. If I work hard enough, I will get there in the end. No. The power of the gospel is actually to deliver you from where you are and put you in a different place. That's what Jesus does. Putting us in the place where God, his spirit, will now come to us and make us more like Jesus the power of the Spirit within us. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. 
The old has gone, the new has come. Hallelujah. Do you feel like that sometimes? No. What makes you praise God when you're feeling sad and lonely and difficult? Eh? Because you've been delivered from the power of darkness and translated into the kingdom of God. And because you're a new creation. A new creation does this for us. What else was symbolic about the vine? It was a symbol of peace and prosperity. It was a symbol of peace and prosperity. To the Jewish nation, the vine was a symbol of peace and prosperity. You know what? Before they came into the promised land, God was saying to them, you know, when you get there, you will have a vine and you will have a fig tree and you have a place, you'll be settled there. And it would be symbolic of what God was going to do for them, a blessing on their lives. And if they had good bunches of grapes, they, they said, God's favoured us. God's blessed us. And Jesus says, I am the true vine. He said, you want peace? If you want prosperity, it's me. It's me. Don't go away from it. I am the true vine. And so we could go on. You know, another symbolic reason about the vine is there was a sense of expectancy about it. You know, to have, to have, a, to have a vine in your garden with saying, this is here and God's going to bless this vine. I'll get some good grapes. I'll get some good wine off of it. And God has blessed me. And what did they do? They looked after it. They tended it. They pruned it so that it would bear fruit in their own personal setting. Jesus goes on to say, John 15, I'm the true vine and my father is the gardener or the vine dresser. <coughs> Little picture. You know, it's looking over this for ways in which I can get the best out of this plant. Oh my God! Now Fred might, you know, be able to do something with it. But and God looks over our lives and He's saying, "How can I get the best out of this person? What can make this person shine? What can make this person give glory to God?" And He's looking at you. He's looking at me like something he tends with loving care and attention. How can I get the best out of this? And when Jesus was talking about, I'm the true vine and my father is the gardener, he's saying, how can I get the best out of you to bless other people, to bring my church, to make it glorious, to make it beautiful, to bless people, to bless the world, my father is the gardener. He's the vine dresser. He says he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. That's quite drastic, isn't it? But again, if we go too far in the wrong way here, we'll get into trouble. Because it's not about salvation. It's about fruit. And it's speaking primarily and specifically about Israel. Because as a nation, they didn't bear fruit for the glory of God. But a wonderful thing is, if we read more scripture, it tells that God's going to actually bring that vine and graft it back in again. He's going to graft it back into the vine. Yes, it's cut off. We could use it about Judas. And you say, well, did Jesus cut Judas off? 
Did God cut Judas off? No, not necessarily. He separated himself. And if he separated himself, that was almost an agreement with God. And so you could attribute it to God's work. You could say, well, God's allowed this because that's what I want. And that's what the Bible calls a reprobate mind. If you want these things, God will give you over to that. It's a mysterious thing to understand. But ultimately, God's in charge and in control. And he can grasp. But God has a spiritual, mysterious work here, which if he can do it for Israel, Eileen was frowning just now, he can do it for a Christian. If the truth is true for Israel, that he can graft it back in again, it is true for you or me. And I can think of several people here in Herne Bay who have claimed to be believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. They don't come to church. They are truly born again, but they're separated. They're almost cut off. But if it's true, God can graft them back in again. He can bring them in again to the purposes of God, which is really what's at stake here in this, the purposes of God to be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. There are three things here I just want to point out. It's about abiding in the vine, keeping connected with Jesus, and there's lots of ways we can do that, by being here part of God's family, by reading your Bibles, by praying, just talking to God. You're keeping connected. It's abiding in the vine. And that's what we need to do. That's the way to be fruitful. There's three things important about that from this. First of all, if you bear much fruit, Jesus said, herein is my Father glorified. So when we come and we worship, we're raising our hands in the air, and we're singing it all to our God, God glorify your name in all the earth. But what about those things in my life which are not glorifying to you? If you bear much fruit, herein is my Father glorified. So you see, you have God the Father and the Son right at the beginning of this chapter, and at the end of it it talks about the coming of the Holy Spirit. And it says if you're fruitful, you're glorifying God. That's the way to glorify God. Further down in the chapter says if you're bearing much fruit, he said ask whatever you will. And you'll get your, my, your prayers will be answered. And there's two things to that. Firstly, if you're bearing fruit or you want to be glorifying to God, you'll be asking the right things. Sometimes we don't pray the right things so our prayers don't get answered. So it actually brings us... Part of the fruit abiding in the vine is knowing what to ask and how to ask. You will bear much fruit. It says, here's a key... To answer prayer. If you're living your life separate, ad hoc, in any old way, you say, well, I gave my life to Jesus once and that's it. God wants to deal with real people. He wants to deal with the real issue. Those who've actually said, I've given my life to Jesus Christ, come what may, I will follow him for the rest of my life. I would do what he asked, I want my life to be pleasing to God. So he said, if you bear much fruit, ask what you want to, and it will be given to you. Now there's an open thing. 
you have to ask a right. And the third thing is this. It's in context with our joy. One of the greatest things that we fruit of this part of the fruit of the spirit is joy. It's beyond happiness because we need things to happen in our life to make us happy. But with joy, it's there anyway because it's implanted in here and no one can rob us of that joy. It's a spiritual thing. Happiness is a more material, fleshly thing. But joy, you know, like people who went to the pantomime last night, they were happy for a while. You know, they enjoyed the jokes and stuff and Derek stored a few up in his head and Kevin as well. Make us happy for a while. The happenings make us happy, but joy is in here. And it says, if you bear much fruit, Jesus said this, my joy, so it's nothing to do with us. He says, my joy will be in you and your joy will be full. Now there's a statement. If you bear much fruit, here's a pathway to knowing absolute unadulterated blessing in your life and my life by bearing much fruit, by abiding in Jesus. You could have three better promises than that, could you? Eh? Herein is my Father glorified. Ask whatever you will and it will be done for you. And if you bear much fruit, my joy will be in you and your joy will be full. Now there's a mystery in that verse which needs unpacking or unfolding. Now, I just want us to go back to Galatians 5, if you will, and looking at where this fruit, the idea of pleasing God and being acceptable to him, and how we get to that point, it's the fruit of God's spirit within us. We can't do it ourselves. I just want to read you a little story. Steve's going to deal with gifts next week, gifts of the Holy Spirit in the church, Gifts are freely given, but fruit grows. Gifts are freely given, but fruit grows. And we have this saying amongst here, it's actually character before gifting. You know, gifting is very, very important in the church, but the character of our lives has to match up with the gifting that we're given. Maybe sometimes God holds that back until, you know, it all it's consistency, isn't it? That's the word, consistency. It was said of Jesus, Luke wrote about Jesus. He said, I write about Jesus of all he began to do and to teach. What he said, what he did matched up with what he said, and there's no confusion with that. It was a perfect harmony. But sometimes that's not so with us. People outside the church, some call us all hypocrites inside the church. What they're saying is their actions don't match up with their words. But it's the same the whole world over anyway. We have to admit sometimes that we are. And that's just a fact, isn't it? But in Jesus, that can be true. Fruit grows. Two brothers would often get into mischief and to, for their punishment, they'd be sent upstairs to bed. But the punishment was not very effective because there was a big old fruit tree right outside the window. They would go out the window, onto the roof, into the branches, down the tree, across the backyard, over the fence, into the field where they would play ball for a while, and then come back over the fence, across the backyard, up the tree, into the branches, onto the roof and into the window, and no one ever knew that they were gone. 
Then one day they overheard their parents talking, Mary, this tree hasn't borne any fruit for years. I think we will cut it down tomorrow morning. The boys were horrified, so they needed the plan. Good old plan, love plans, don't you? Which they soon come up with. That night they went to bed early, gathered together all their money, went out of the window, down the tree into the town where they bought all the apples they could find and some black cotton. Returning home, they proceeded to tie apples onto every branch of the tree that they could reach. And then they went to bed and waited for their father to get up in the morning. Father got up and went outside, and he hurried back and said, Mary, Mary, it's the most incredible thing I've ever seen. This tree which hasn't borne fruit for years this morning is covered with apples. But you have to see this, it's absolutely covered with big juicy apples. I don't believe it, it's a pear tree. <laughs> the point of the story is that the fruit should reflect the nature within. I had a chestnut tree and it was an old tree, people had cut it down and yeah, it was like garden. Chestnuts were actually rubbish. And I cut all the branches off, it was just a bare tree, no branch or anything like it whatsoever. And um, it's just this thought run through my silly mind, you know. What if it grew as something else, you know? But it didn't. It was nature to be a chestnut tree. And so it grew as a chestnut tree, just as like that one, as a plant. It grows as the plant it was made to be. And we were made to glorify God on the earth. And so the fruit that we have should reflect the nature within. And that's what we've read in Galatians. It's a list. It's not comprehensive, but it's very typical of the work that the Holy Spirit can do in our lives. And just so quickly, joy is distinct from happiness and that happiness depends on happenings. If my happenings don't happen to happen the way I happen to want my happenings to happen, I'm unhappy. Joy is me being happy when my happenings don't happen to happen the way I happen to want all my happenings to happen. So if everything in your life is running smoothly and falling right into place, you're not, you only aren't learning anything about joy. You don't even know if you've got any. And I could say the same about each of the nine. What is peace without a storm? What is patience without trials? You can work out the rest. My father is the vine dresser. These things, the Holy Spirit teaches us He doesn't give them to us. So if you pray for love and you get the most difficult person to live with, that's the Holy Spirit teaching you and to me how to love. My my wife's learned it perfectly. I know what you're laughing at. (laughs) But, you know, he teaches you how to love. Further down in the passage, he says, the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. Now, there's a needy world for you. Do you struggle with the things that you want to do but can't get there? I do, and I have done in my life, you know. But the Holy Spirit, like it says in Titus, the Holy Spirit teaches us to say no to ungodliness. You know, you say, how how do I stop doing that? You know, we're now, what, halfway through January or a bit more? And those New Year's resolutions haven't kept up. 
because we just haven't got the power to do them sometimes. Although Kevin's on his way down to 11.7. Yeah, I asked him this morning just to check up on that. Nearly there, Kevin, not, worth, not far to go. But you know, those things we find difficult to do. Self-control. I think we all battle with self-control. It's something we can't get anywhere else other through God's Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. The Bible speaks a lot about patience. I've had to learn it, many people learn it, but God teaches us to know and to live out patience in our life. Why? Because it's not what we do. It's the work, the fruit of the Spirit. It's an empowering revelation. It's an empowering work in our lives. Let's pray, shall we? Father, we thank you so much. We thank you so much for saving us and giving us Jesus, not only as Saviour, but Lord, we gave you permission. When we came to you, we gave you permission over our lives to change them, to be more like Jesus. So we pray this morning, Spirit of God, would you just come and move amongst us and refresh us, renew us, fill us with your Spirit, we pray, because he can do more than we can ask or think. Thank you, Father, so much for giving and sending your Holy Spirit. Thank you that he's here now. Maybe something in that checklist which is rung a bell with you or the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God and that maybe we're in need sometime. Refresh us, renew us. Fill us, Lord, with your Holy Spirit indeed. In Jesus' name, amen.